Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you've never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church to connect with, you belong here. We would love to see you in person on Sunday mornings at 9.15 or 10.45 a.m. at our new location at 5103 Pegasus Court. To learn more about what Sunday mornings at Collective look like, please head to mycollective.church and click on what to expect. There are going to be a lot of great things at Collective this summer as Maryland opens up, so stay tuned for upcoming events and announcements as we continue to try to make an impact in our city. Now here's Sunday's message. So today we're doing something a little bit different with today's message because it's not actually a part of a sermon series. With it being July 4th, uh, we didn't want to end a series or start a series today, so it's kind of a one-off. And before I get into today's topic, I want to talk about the next few weeks. Next Sunday, we're going to kick off a new series called Based on a True Story. And each week is going to be a different story from the Old Testament of the Bible, and we're going to see what those stories can teach us about God and faith. And so I'm going to kick off the series next week, and then I'm not going to preach for the next four weeks. And I do this every summer. Uh, I take a preaching break to catch my breath and really to focus on the future. Um, during this time, I'm going to be working through the end of the year sermon series as well as planning out all of 2022. Um, so for four weeks, we will have a great group of guest speakers. Many of them have preached at Collective before. They're all excited to be with you, and they're really excited to be here and see our new church home. Now, typically, I don't tell people when my preaching break is, try to throw you guys for a loop, um, but I'm telling you this year because I know you all genuinely care about me and my family, and I don't want you to be worried. This is a planned break. Uh, I am probably mentally and emotionally healthier than I've been in a very long time, and I just need time to think about the future, to spend some time with my girls, and really to spend some intentional time listening to God and figuring out what he's going to ask us in the next season of our church. And so I'll be around. You'll probably see me at Collective. Um, that's because I don't like going to other churches. Uh, I'm just being honest. A lot of my friends and colleagues, when they do their preaching breaks, they go to other churches, but I have never enjoyed that. Uh, my kids love it here. Their friends are here. Uh, I like our worship. I like our teaching. I don't like it other places. So you'll see me here um, worshiping with you all and learning from these speakers. I just won't be on stage. And so we want to let you guys know. didn't want you to get nervous if you pop back in in a few weeks and don't see me for a little while. Uh, I'm just taking a breather as we kind of gear up for a really exciting fall and Christmas season. And all of that will lead to August 15th when we are hosting the grocery store buyout. And the grocery store buyout is up there with Easter and our birthday and Christmas when it comes to being a big deal at Collective. And what we're going to do on August 15th, instead of meeting here and having church here, we're going to meet up at the Wise on Prospect Boulevard, and we're going to buy out the grocery store. Uh, we did this in 2019, and about 350 people showed up and bought 17,000 items that day. Uh, and then what we're going to do is we're going to distribute them back into the community to West Frederick Middle School, the Frederick Rescue Mission, and Blessings in a Backpack. It's one of the biggest things we do as a church, and so that'll kind of be our official end of summer. So make sure to write that down, August 15th, uh, grocery store buyout. We won't meet here. We'll meet at Wise. It won't be a church service, so like you won't show up at a parking lot and like do worship and stuff like that. I'm not preaching that day either. Um, you will literally show up and buy things from a grocery store, and uh, we'll put it in some boxes and deliver it as school gets ready to begin in Frederick County. Uh, all right, so that's kind of what the next few weeks are going to look like. But enough about summer. Let's get into today's topic. So I want to ask you a question. 
And I really wanna encourage you to write this down or take a screenshot, like open up your phone, put it in notes, um, write it on your arm or something. Uh, you probably don't have pens because it's, it's uh, 2021, but figure out a way to write this down because I really want you to wrestle with this question over the next few days. So are you ready? All right, for the few of you that, that are actually gonna listen to me, let's do this. I want you to write this down. I want you to really think about it this week. Where does your hope come from? Right, where does your hope come from? Does it come from your career? Does it come from money, social media, politics, friends, hobbies, religion? Maybe some of you would say that you don't have hope, right? That you would say that you feel hopeless or you're currently struggling to have hope or maybe you had hope and lost it. In 1967, Martin Seligman conducted a study on hope and hopelessness. And in phase one of that study, two groups of dogs were placed in cages that administered small electric shocks. In cage one, there was a lever that turned off the shocks. In cage two, there wasn't a lever. And in the experiment, the dogs in cage one figured out how to turn off the electric shocks. But, in the, but in the dogs in cage two searched and searched, but when they couldn't figure out how to turn the shocks off, they simply laid down and gave up until the experiment was over. The dogs were okay, okay? For those of you who are like wondering, they, they were fine. In phase two of the experiment though, all of the dogs were placed in the same cage that had a lever to turn off the shocks. But this is what happened. The dogs who were originally in cage one with the lever that turned it off, searched and found the lever to make the shops, shock stop in phase two. But every single dog that was in the second cage that didn't have a lever originally gave up immediately. They didn't even try to figure out a way to stop the shocks. What Seligman found is that when animals are subjected to difficult situations they cannot control, they stop trying to escape. They become passive. They lose hope. And the same is true for humans. If we experience devastating defeats, a persistent situation that we cannot change, or a terrifying event that we cannot control, we lose hope. You see, when we experience the shocks of this life, the trials of this life, the storms of this life, it is hard to keep going. And some of you are experiencing that right now, right? You put your hope in a relationship, you poured your heart and soul into it over and over again, but there's still pain and brokenness. You've put so much hope in your career, but no matter how much money you make or how high you climb up the corporate ladder, you never feel peace. You put your hope in yourself, but time and time again, you fall short or you let yourself down or you can't control your own outcomes. And you're experiencing hopelessness because you have put your hopes in things that will always fall short. Right? And when you put your hope in things of this world, we will always end up disappointed. And the more we try to find hope in temporary things, the more we will trend toward hopelessness. And hope, uh, as defined, is the expectation or belief in the fulfillment of something desired, right? It's the idea that we have something to look forward to, that something good is coming in the future. And present pain and uncertainty over the future creates a longing in us for something better, right? In other words, we long for hope, right? Like we feel that, right? We need something to hold on to when life gets hard. We need to know that there's something better coming in the future. We need hope. And this topic is seen throughout the Bible, 
but no one talks more about hope than a guy named Paul. Paul famously went from killing Christians and opposing Christianity to having an encounter with Jesus and getting baptized. Then Paul went on to plant churches and write more than half of the books of the New Testament. And what Paul would do is he'd actually write letters back to churches that he helped start, and he would encourage them, and he would challenge them. And so today, we're going to look at what Paul said about hope in his letter to the church in Rome, and we're going to learn some of the main truths that he tried to share with that church that was a lot like this church right here. So here's the first thing I want to point out, and again, just encourage you to write this down. The first thing is this, hope comes from God. Paul writes in Romans 15, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Hope comes from God, right? And here's the deal. If we were actually being honest with ourselves, we would admit that we try to find hope in things other than God, right? In material things, in relationships, in sports, right? And that makes sense because we live in a society that tells us that bigger, better, shinier our things are, the happier we'll be, right? The more peace we will have, the more hope we'll have. But a car can't bring real hope, right? It just can't. It can bring a feeling of contentment and exhilaration, but not real hope because cars break down. They lose value. They can be destroyed by other people, Right? Financial stability can't bring hope. It can bring a level of security and a level of ease, but not real hope. Financial security can be lost in a recession, in a pandemic. You know, something completely out of our control can take that away from us. A relationship can't bring hope because someone else's abilities are limited to, to what he or she can control. Right? The team you root for, sorry guys, can't bring real hope. Right? At the end of the year, every team but one loses, and the team that wins rarely wins again the next year. Or you root for the Orioles, and they win the World Series in 1983, three years before you're born, and they never win one again, okay? I'm, <laughs> I'm going to die without winning a World Series. And listen, if your, hope, if your hope is still in the Orioles, you have bigger issues, they are not going to be solved today, okay? I'm sorry. Just be a Nats fan. It's okay. No one's going to judge you here. I will. Stick with us. We're going to win one one day. My children will one day see the Orioles win a World Series. But hope comes from the one who created it, right? Real hope comes from God. God is the source of hope. The second takeaway, uh, we're actually going to jump out of the book of Romans for a second, but stick with Paul and then jump back in. But the second thing is this, hope hinges on the resurrection. In 1 Corinthians, this is what Paul writes. He says, but tell me this. Since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection of the dead? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And so basically what's happening is that there are Christians in the church in Corinth who believe that Jesus had resurrected from the dead, but they did not believe that there would be spiritual resurrection of individuals, right? Meaning they didn't believe that people who put their faith in Jesus would go to heaven when they died. And Paul is telling these people, he's telling this church, if we can't experience resurrection, then why say that Jesus did, right? Because Jesus resurrected from the dead to prove that we could be forgiven and our relationship with God could be restored. And then Paul takes it a step further. He says, and if Christ has not been raised, then all of our preaching is useless and your faith 
is useless. If there isn't a resurrection, we are all wasting our time. If there isn't a resurrection, this, what we're doing right now, is meaningless. Worship is pointless. The church is pointless. The Bible is pointless. If Jesus didn't resurrect from the dead, there is no point in faith. He continues, And we apostles would all be lying about God, for we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there is no resurrection of the dead. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless, and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And so what Paul does, he, he doubles down, right? He's actually repeating himself, which really isn't Paul's style. Paul was very intelligent and chose his word very carefully. So when I read this and he's repeating himself, I assume that he's getting worked up, right? Which makes sense because he personally had an interaction with Jesus after Jesus had resurrected, right? So they're calling Paul and his friends and really his mission a bunch of liars. So he reiterates what he's saying. By the way, does anybody do this when they're angry? Uh, I do this all the time when I'm upset. Uh, I'll say the same thing 50 different ways, right? I will throw in similes, metaphors, anecdotes, synonyms, everything I can think of to try to explain the same thing over and over and over again of why I'm frustrated. It drives my staff absolutely nuts. Some of you are nudging the person next to you. Don't do that. They're just going to explain to you 50 times why they didn't like that. But that's what Paul's doing, right? He's, he's trying to make it so clear that if Jesus didn't resurrect from the dead, then everyone who claims to be a Christian is lost. And then Paul says this, and this is what I really want to point out. He says, and if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. If our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. Right? If our hope is only for our time on earth right now, right? if our hope is only found in the here and now and not in eternity in heaven, not in eternity with God, then we're fools. Then we don't really have anything to hope for right? because our hope hinges on the resurrection. And if there is no resurrection, there is no hope. Paul continues, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, meaning we're all humans, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. Right? At the heart of hope is the resurrection of Jesus. Because the resurrection of Jesus is what proves to us that we can experience new life. The resurrection is the proof that we can be forgiven. The resurrection is the proof that we can be made new. The resurrection is the proof that we can experience resurrection in our own lives, where dead things get brought back to life. But most importantly, the resurrection is the proof that we can spend eternity in heaven, and that is where hope truly is found. Right? And Paul actually says this in Romans. This is what he says. But with eager hope... The creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. 
right? Our hope is tied to the day when we will be released from sin and suffering in this world, when we will be released from death and decay, when we will be released from this life and we will be ushered into the kingdom of heaven. And because Jesus resurrected from the dead, we know that we can experience resurrection for our own souls, right? Our hope comes from God, but if Jesus didn't resurrect from the dead, that hope would be false. It would just be like everything else in this world. So Jesus resurrected so we can have hope. And if your hope is not found in Jesus, I am not sure what you have your hope in. I'm just being honest. I'm not sure how you can wake up every day and get on social media, look at your bank account, watch the news, watch people interact with each other and still have hope. Right? This world is not one that creates a feeling that better days are ahead. It just doesn't. And I know that's kind of depressing. But even Paul says that if our hope is found in this world, in this lifetime, then people should have pity for us. Because real hope is found in the truth that God promises that we can spend an eternity in heaven with him. And that eternity is perfect. It doesn't have pain. It doesn't have sorrow. It doesn't have bills. It doesn't have failure. It doesn't have loss. And that's what our hope should be rooted in. And so for those of you who are listening right now who don't follow Jesus, the most important thing for you to hear today is this. God wants you to be full of hope. He sent his son to live a perfect life so that you could have something to hope in. Then he died on a cross and resurrected from the dead to prove that his hope is real. He made a promise and then he backed it up. And if you want to have hope in something that lasts, in something that won't let you down, in something that you can hold on to every single day in the highs and lows and the good times and bad, it's time for you to take your hope out of this world and put it into Jesus. The way that we celebrate that at Collective when people make that decision is through baptism, right? It's the death of our old selves, the resurrection of ourselves into new life. That's what Paul is arguing about. We get to experience that. And so if you are someone who has hope in this world and wants it in something better, if you're ready to have a conversation about that, check the baptism box in your connection card and, or head to Next Steps, and we'll talk to you this week about what it looks like to have hope in something that lasts. So hope comes from God, and it hinges on the resurrection. Here are a few more quick hitters for today. Hope is a gift. Paul writes in Romans 8, we were given this hope when we were saved. Hope comes when we put our faith in Jesus. It's a gift given to us by God, but it only comes when we are saved. It only comes when we accept the forgiveness that Jesus offers, and we choose to let him be the leader of our life. The knowledge of heaven does not provide hope. It's the promise of heaven that comes when we actually commit to Jesus. Here's another one. When we feel hopeless, we should turn to Scripture. Romans 15 says, And the Scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. In other words, when we feel hopeless, we need to turn to the Bible so we can be reminded of the promises that God has made and that God has fulfilled. Right? The Bible exists to give us hope and as we make our way through the trials of this world. During the pandemic, there have been a lot of studies done in regard to the church and Bible reading, and Harvard did a study that found that people are more hopeful when they read Scripture frequently. 
In fact, frequent Bible readers rated themselves 33% more hopeful than irregular scripture readers did. And so what they did was on a scale of 1 to 100, with 100 being the most hopeful, Americans who report reading their Bible three to four times per year rated themselves as 42, 42% hopeful. People who read monthly rated themselves as 59, weekly rated themselves as 66, and multiple times per week rated them as 75. Right? The more you read your Bible, the more hope you have. And that's because it reminds us of what our hope is found in. Here's another one. God's hope never disappoints. Romans 5 says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us, because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with this love. All right, so Paul says, trials develop endurance, endurance develops character, character strengthens our hope of salvation, our hope that is in Jesus. And when we have that hope, we will not be disappointed because that hope is everything. You see, hope in anything other than the salvation of Jesus will lead to disappointment. But hope in Jesus will endure through our problems and our trials. Because here's the truth, we will run into problems and trials. And if we have to decide, and we have to decide if we're gonna choose hopelessness or choose hope. The author Philip Yancey once wrote, when the world asks if there is any hope, we can say absolutely. No one is exempt from tragedy or disappointment. God himself was not exempt. Jesus offered no immunity, no way out of the unfairness, but rather a way through it to the other side. Right, life is hard. No one is exempt from pain. No one is exempt from trials. No one is exempt from the electric shocks of life. Right? We know that Jesus wasn't even exempt from those things. But our hope comes from the fact that this life isn't all that there is, that there's a hope that goes beyond the pain of today. And that hope comes from a God who loves us beyond reason. It's a gift that he freely gives to anyone who wants to accept it, and it never disappoints. Doesn't that sound good? So let me ask you again, where does your hope come from? Or more importantly, where do you want your hope to come from? Right? Hope comes from God. Hope hinges on the resurrection. Hope is a gift. When we feel hopeless, we should turn to Scripture, and God's hope never disappoints. Those are some pretty good takeaways for today, right? But there's something missing. So here's the final thing for today. Hope is for everyone. You see, Jesus didn't come to earth and die so that only some people could experience this, just so that we in this room could experience the peace that he offers when it comes to our future. God's desire is that everyone could experience the hope that his resurrection offers, right? And if we need hope, which we do, we know that our neighbors need it as well, right? Our coworkers need hope. Our family needs hope. Our city needs hope now more than ever. And while it's so great that we're here today learning about hope and how God wants us to have hope, it's not just about us. It's not. God's hope is for everyone. Jesus says it like this in Luke 5. He says, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. 
But the truth is Jesus came for people who are longing for something more. Jesus came for people who needed hope. Jesus came for us, for broken, messed up, sinful, lost people, right? And right now, we're the ones who are lucky enough to know that hope comes from God and God's hope won't disappoint. But that's not something that we can keep for ourselves. So here's the real challenge for today, especially if you are a follower of Jesus. Bring hope into this world. Right, today is the day we're going to spend time with neighbors and friends and family who are all longing for something more, right, who are all longing for hope. They might not say it, they might not even really show it, but they need hope. So grab a beer, grab a hot dog, make a plan to meet up, watch fireworks, blow things up together, and show them what the hope of Jesus looks like and how that impacts your marriage, and how that impacts your career, and how that impacts your life. Because here's the truth, people need hope right now. Those people in your life won't know how good the hope of Jesus is unless we choose to share that with them, unless we choose to bring that to them. One more thing Paul wrote, this was in a letter to a guy named Timothy. He says, for our hope is in the living God who is the savior of all people and particularly of all believers. Our hope needs to be found in God, and God's hope is for everyone. Let's pray. God, um, I think all of us have a tendency to hold on to things that, that don't last. God, that intentionally or unintentionally, we choose to put our hope in things that we know will only leave us disappointed in the end. God, whether they fall apart like material things or um, whether we try to find it in people who are broken and lost and who are imperfect just like us. And so, God, we, we need to figure out where we're going to put our hope. God, we need to figure out when we wake up in the morning, what are we really longing for? What are we really looking forward to? So God, we're thankful um, that hope is a theme seen throughout the Bible. Uh, It's something that Paul talked about to every single church he visited, to every single church that he started, God, um, because he knew people would go through trials. God, he knew that we would go through hard times and we would start holding on to the things that don't last. So God, he tried to turn their attention back to you. God, we are just like that church in Rome. God, we're just like that church in Corinth. We are struggling to figure out where our hope is. God, we daily need to be reminded that it comes from you and you alone. God, we are so thankful for the hope that you offer. God, that it leads to new life, that it doesn't disappoint. God, that the Bible exists to remind us every single day what hope looks like and where it comes from. And really, God, that uh, this world, as hard as it is, doesn't have to be it. So God, I pray this week... um, that we don't just hold on to the hope that you offer, but God, that we bring it into our communities. God, people have been struggling for a really long time. God, we're struggling. Pandemic did not make that easier. God, we know that the people around us need something better to hold on to. And God, we know that's you. So give us the courage, um, give us the opportunities today um, and this week to bring that into our world. God, we love you and pray these things in your name. Amen.